last year, many college students were kicking back, enjoying fun in the sun during spring break. But this year, many Columbia students will barely be leaving their dorms. I'll tell you what's replacing spring break and what students and faculty are saying about the decision they weren't included in. Coming up, you might see some fresh faces checking out campus. Stay tuned to learn why. And after going on a break, the Friends experience is open again. Hear what you can expect from the TV show turned interactive pop-up. Finally, I'm going to address the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes around the U.S. as I share my story as an Asian American. This is Chronicle Headlines. I'm your host, Paige Barnes. Imagine you're lying on a beach. The sand is soft like a warm hug on your toes. The ocean waves are rhythmically rolling back and forth as the tide is carrying all of your troubles That's how many students would imagine their spring break to be like. But this year, students and faculty have to wait another five weeks for making week to get a break. Joining me now is co-editor-in-chief Brooklyn Kioso to talk about what Making Week is and why Columbia pulled the plug on spring break. Making Week is the week before finals week at Columbia where no classes um, or instruction will take place. It was announced in November 2020 via email from the Office of the Provost. Because we don't have a spring break this semester, it's just a week where students are able to work on their final projects. Some of the conflict is that the faculty leaders are saying that they didn't have input in this decision. So who did you talk to and what did they say? I talked to Diana Valera, who is the president of Columbia's part-time faculty union, or CFAC. And she understood the decision by the college um, because they do want to keep students and Columbia community members safe. But she was pretty disappointed that CFAC, once again, as she said, wasn't consulted on a major decision by the college um, and that she learned about it, as did a few other instructors via email, just like students did. And I also talked to Sean Johnson Andrews, who is the president of the Faculty Senate at Columbia. He said they were told about the decision, but they were not consulted or asked to give input about what they thought. And the decision might have been different if they were. Again, he understood the decision, but he wished that the faculty senate was part of the decision-making process. That leads me to my next question is that you talked to the senior associate provost, Nathan Backham. What did he say the rationale was for implementing Making Week? He said there are a few things went into this. So first and foremost, he said it was to keep students, faculty, staff at Columbia safe. There was a thought that if they did have a spring break, students might leave campus, come back, and then if they test positive for the coronavirus, they might need to quarantine, which is especially difficult because if they live in residence halls, Columbia doesn't have the means to quarantine that many students. They did think about, because 
they did think about the mental health of students and the need for a spring break. So they thought about implementing random non-instruction days throughout the semester, but they decided against that because some courses at Columbia don't run the full um, 16 week semester. So it would mess with those courses and it would basically take like a week away from a course that's already not very long. And I'm sure that it wasn't Backham himself who made this decision for the college. Who else did he say was a part of the decision-making process? So he said um, they talked to the assessment task force, which includes representatives from student affairs, the office of the president, strategic communications, and he also talked to other offices across campus. He talked to the president's cabinet, the office of the registrar, and also several department chairs um, were part of the decision, although he didn't tell me the names of the specific department chairs involved. In terms of other colleges and universities, how are they handling their spring break? Are they canceled? Are they postponed? A couple of colleges have canceled spring break. Um, the University of Kansas, I learned recently um, when I was doing this, canceled spring break, which is my undergraduate alma mater. Um, they canceled for a similar reason, the safety of the campus. But there are other colleges like Northwestern University that have kept their spring break. Um, and they also have a making week, which they call a reading week, the week before finals week. So they have both because they do want to give their students that reading week or making week um, to work on their final projects, but they also want to have a mid-semester break. And Harvard University does a similar thing. Not only as a student myself, like I'm unhappy about not having a break, I'm feeling burned out. How are instructors handling the lack of a spring break? Pretty much every instructor I talked to said something very similar. Um, they feel the same way as their students. They would love to have a break. Um, and it's really all about at this point, communication between students and instructors. They all said, if my students are feeling burnt out and they really can't do it, I just really want them to tell me and talk to me about it because I'm not going to know if you don't tell me about it, but I totally understand. And it goes the same. I talked to a few graduate student instructors specifically that teach writing rhetoric too, um, because not only are they instructors, but they're also students. They're doing both. They're juggling both of these things. And they were all very disappointed in this decision because they see both ends of it. They're, they're students themselves that need a break and they're teaching other students that they can see really need a break and are feeling very burnt out at this point. Lastly, I just want to know, like assuming the pandemic is you know under control in the coming years, Will Making Week be here to stay? Bakum said he that would have to be an ongoing discussion because if they decided to keep Making Week and bring spring break, spring break back, which is the plan, they would have to extend the academic calendar, which would kind of mess with the scheduling at Columbia because of J-term and also summer courses. So it would be a big shift in the academic calendar. So it's a conversation that would be ongoing, he said. Thank you very much for talking to me about Making Week, and I hope that you can push through it as well as myself. <laughs> you can read Brooklyn's full article at columbiachronicle.com. Many describe college as your new home for the next four years. But what if you bought that home without ever seeing it in person? Up until now, in-person campus tours haven't been running. Now that they are, registration has filled up fast. Here to talk about how the college has reopened campus visits during the pandemic is staff reporter Noah Jennings. The biggest obvious change that's come is everyone that uh, arrives at Columbia needs to have a rapid COVID test as soon as they arrive. So 30 minutes prior to each of their um, tours, 
uh, every person that's coming on campus, whether it's a student or a parent or a guest that the student has, they are going to go to the health center and they're going to take a rapid COVID test paid for by Columbia and make sure that they're negative before proceeding with their tour. Um, the other big change is that each of the tours are going to be limited to just one family. And so what that entails is the prospective student and they can bring up to two guests with them and the tour guide. And that's all that's going to be on every tour. You know, there's no group tours of the past where you're going with multiple families and, you know, there's sort of like popcorn questions going out and about, but it's more so just the one-on-one -on -one experience, mainly for, you know, for safety reasons, obviously, but there's also families that have done it from what I've heard have really enjoyed that aspect of, you know, the more personal in a way, like, you know, it's interesting that even with these safety guidelines in place, you know, that we're supposed to be separate, separated from each other it still is in a way more personal, which is fascinating to me. But those are those are the two big ones. And then on top of that, you know, the, the tours are going to be a bit shorter. They're not going to go inside as many buildings. They're going to be outside as much as possible. Um, none of the housing buildings will be able to be accessed. Um, the reason being behind that as uh, Derek Brinkley, the assistant vice president for undergraduate admissions told me, he said that, well, since, you know, the students can't have guests, the school shouldn't have guests there either. So the housing is, you can only view images online. You can't actually go in physically. Um, but, you know, no, you can talk to your tour guide about the different majors that you have, whatever major you're hoping to be a part of, and, you know, go to a building that would, you know, best suit your needs. How were tours carried out before they resumed in person? So when the pandemic hit, uh, it was completely virtual and it has been this entire time. This is the first time that there's been any sort of in-person tours since the start of then. Um, but as for the virtual ones, there's a couple different ways that students have been able to visit. One of them being the Columbia Visits app, which is a pretty cool thing they've got going on where they use augmented reality on an app on your phone so that you can walk around outside campus, walk the streets and have the app open and point your phone towards one of the buildings and it'll recognize what building it is and it'll give you all sorts of information and you can find pictures and stuff from the inside. And so it really gives you a better feel of, okay, this is where I would go for this. This is where I go for that. Because, you know, when at Columbia in particular, you know, when you're going around the buildings outside they kind of all just blend in aside from, you know, there's a Columbia sign here, there, you know, it's Chicago and all the buildings are relatively the same way, you know, it fits into the landscape. And so by doing this, you get a better feel for, okay, this is where I'd actually be going. Um, and then there's also been all sorts of different events done by Columbia on their website um, for different information sessions and different uh, virtual sort of tour guides where they would show slideshows of every building you could ever want to see and things of that sort. So that's what's been popular as of prior to now. I fully agree that when I started at Columbia, there were so many buildings that I didn't even realize were Columbia buildings I had passed. So that's really interesting that they're taking those steps to really integrate AR and VR with um, prospective students. Another thing I wanted to know is since in-person tours have started, how popular have they been? They've been very popular. They've been quite the hot commodity to get. When they started on March 15th, the plan was to have a grand total of 175 tours offered. 
Um, so that would be five different time slots, five days a week leading up until May 1st. And so uh, Derek Brinkley told me that he estimated within about three hours of the slots opening up, they were completely full. Um, and so, you know, some people were fortunate to be able to get in um, and many were not. Uh, but because of that, just earlier this week, uh, they announced that they're going to be opening up some more slots. There's going to be a total of 11 per week added um, prior to May 1st. And then they're also going to add um, some from the first two weeks of May with a total of 33 each week. So if you add that up, that's 99 new tours that they're going to be adding in total to the 175 existing. So that's a pretty large number. And so I would be willing to bet based off of what I've seen from parents and prospective students that those ones are going to fly off the shelf too. Before the pandemic, how many on-campus events did prospective students attend? So in the last normal, so to speak, uh, recruitment period, which was 2018, 2019, there were a total of 8,700 students that attended some sort of event at Columbia. Um, and of those 8,700, there were 3,200 prospective students that took a tour. So then when you take the 175 that was in there before, it really puts things into perspective of, wow, this is quite a cutoff. You know, obviously it's for, you know, safety purposes for everyone involved, but at the same time you can recognize that, oh yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot of students that aren't able to do this. And this is a pretty exclusive opportunity as of right now. From the sources that you had talked to, why is it important for them to see the campus in person rather than virtually? I think one of the biggest things obviously is simply money and the investment that they're putting into it, you know, it's you know college is a big investment and so they want to have as best of an idea of what they're walking into as possible before you know committing thousands of dollars to wherever it is that they're going you know and um you know that you know they and some things especially with a, a art school like columbia depending on the major you know so much of it you know you just can't explain in writing and you have to see and feel and I mean, and that's the case to a degree with every school, but it's especially the case with Columbia with the sort of things people are working with. You know, people want to see the equipment they're working with. People want to see the studios and all of that sort of stuff. So things like that become super important like that. And then also it was incredibly important now for these tours right now. And part of why they were such a hot commodity is because the May 1st last day of it is National Decision Day which is a largely used day across the country where colleges, including Columbia, require high school seniors to make their final commitment of, okay, this is where I'm going. So that's why there's also such a big rush to get them those tours right now. And that's the case for most seniors everywhere, not just people interested in Columbia. It's, a, it's not just Columbia's day. It's called national for a reason. Many of them probably haven't been on any college visits prior to this because of the fact of when the pandemic started, you know, it wasn't even the spring hadn't even started yet of their junior year. It was just leading into spring. It was March of their junior year. And I know I don't know about everyone else, but I didn't I hadn't taken any at that point in time in my high school career. So, you know, you consider that. And I mean, and it makes a pretty big difference for a four year commitment like that. 
one of your sources mom which i love her quote she said it's like that show where they have on tv where you don't meet your fiance before you marry him um this is almost a quarter of a million dollar investment in her education who would just put that on something you don't have a really good feel for and haven't been able to visit one or two times and i think that really encapsulates what it's like to go into a college and never really get to see the campus in person so it's really interesting now um, hearing that perspective especially now that the tours are back in person lastly i want to ask if students and their families don't feel comfortable seeing the campus in person what are their options now to get to see columbia's campus for those students that aren't comfortable as well as the students that simply just aren't able to get a spot because let's face it it's also a reality the virtual options are still on the table they still are encouraged to come to the city walk around the outside of the campus they won't necessarily have the guided tour with an actual person and student tour guide but they can still use the columbia visits app they can walk around and get a feel from that sense and there's still plenty of events going on on columbia's website that they're going to keep going on in a bunch of personalized types of events with departments thank you noah for talking to me all about on-campus tours you can read his full article at columbiachronicle.com Wouldn't it be cool to go behind the scenes on the Friends set? No! Now you can. Take a load off your feet at Central Perk, or walk around Monica and Rachel's kitchen, or even poke ugly naked guy at the Friends experience in Chicago. How you doing? Here to talk about how the iconic sitcom has been reimagined is the deputy director of photography, Abby McFarland. The, the first room that I went into was a re recreation of Central Park, and it was made completely out of Legos. And I'm a huge Lego person. And I was like, wait, the amount of time that went into this is so cool. And you can actually like sit on all of the like chairs and stuff and you can pose with or pose for photos. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness, that's so cool. Um, so then you ride a little escalator upstairs and that's when like the the friends exhibit officially begins. It starts in like a little room and the, the tour guide pulls back a door that looks exactly like Rachel and Monica's with like the little gold frame. So when they pull that back, the first thing you see is the fountain from the intro with the, the orange couch. Um, and then you're free to like kind of roam around all the different rooms. My favorite part though was seeing all the different outfits just because they had each uh, character like their most popular outfit recreated on different mannequins and seeing like the sketches of like behind the scenes which uh, it was just so cool to be able to like look actually like into what went into the creation of this. Um, they also had three scripts all signed by the entire cast. And I was like, <gasps> wait, that's so cool. Like Jennifer Aniston touched that paper. It kind of switches back and forth between recreations of different sets. 
and then some of the behind the scenes stuff. For example, there's a, a wall that has all 18 pages of Rachel's letter to Ross, like just plastered all over it, which I didn't realize that there was actually 18 pages of words, but there, there is. Um, and there's a, a timeline of who dated who, and it's all like color coded based on character. So yeah, and so you go through and kind of switch back and forth between sets and behind the scenes stuff. And then when you're done, you go to the, the gift shop. Overall, it was just, it was so cool. The amount of detail that went into it was so, that's what like truly made it special. About the gift shop, tell me more, what did they offer? What could you buy after seeing the exhibit? They had like the typical merch stuff like hats and um, sweatshirts and t-shirts. Uh, the thing that I really wanted when I go back, because I plan on going back, they had an apron that had Central Perk on it, like the, the logo and stuff. They had mugs, masks for COVID and stuff. They had like a little Hugsy plushie that I also really want. They had like the gold frame that goes around the peephole in Monica's apartment. So yeah, a lot of like super unique things as far as like things that only like people who have seen the show would like understand. What was the idea for the exhibit opening? The The company that put it on is called Superfly X. They're a super new company. I was able to meet with the director of brand marketing. Her name was Anna Blake. Um, super, everybody on that team that I was able to meet, they were all super kind. And also they were all like in their 20s and 30s, which I thought was kind of cool because I don't know, it, it's cool to see young people starting such cool things. Anyway, started in 2019 with the 25th anniversary and um, Superfly X partnered with Warner Brothers to kind of create this exhibit in honor of friends, but they wanted to be able to like basically drop fans in the actual like friends universe. So that's how the idea came about, um, which I think they did such a good job as far as like uh, truly bringing this fictional world to life. It had to close though, right? Because of the pandemic. So I'm wondering when did it reopen? Originally it opened in October of 2020, but after only a few weeks of being open, they had to close because Chicago got like stricter with the COVID restrictions. And so they opened again in March I think it was March 17th of 2021. And they will be open until May 31st. Going into COVID precautions, what are they doing to keep patrons safe? They were able to kind of tie COVID to the show with this idea of Monica clean. So like Monica is known for being a clean freak. There are hand sanitizing stations throughout the entire exhibit. They have um, people working to like wipe down anything that anybody touches. Um, just because it is such like an interactive experience, that was something that they really wanted to hone in on to make fans and guests feel safe. And then they also require masks. They take your temperature when you come in. I genuinely felt really safe as far as like um, throughout my tour. So yeah, I think it was it was really a way to not like make COVID less scary, um, but a way to kind of bring some life to it bring some like character to having even though we're in like this super icky time they're able to kind of like spice it up by um, bringing it tying it into the show where can people go and see it and how much are tickets the location is um 540 north michigan um north michigan ave 
And so it's just right above like the river. Um, anybody staying like near Columbia's campus could like walk to it. And then tickets, I know the general tickets are $35, but they do offer private tours for people that like don't want to come in contact with other people. Um, and in order to know the price of those, you'd have to like email the, the press people. I definitely think that it's worth the $35, but that's just me as somebody who's like a diehard fan of the, the show. How long will this run? Yeah, so it opened on March 17th and it'll go until May 31st. So roughly like a month and a half, two months. Lastly, I'm curious if there was anything that you learned while you while you visited the exhibit that you just didn't know about, either about the creation of the show or anything that fans would be surprised about. Maybe this is just because I'm, I know we go to an art school, but like I've never taken a filmmaking class before. I had no idea the scripts would be so thick that there was so much that they had to like learn in order to fit into like a, a 30 minute episode. So I think that was super, I was like, whoa, they're so big. How did they like learn these lines? Um, And then also my favorite part, Phoebe is my favorite character. So seeing the sketches of all her different, like super unique outfits um, as somebody who's really into fashion too, I was like, wait, that's so cool to see it go from like a sketch to like a sketch in color to seeing it like on the mannequin. Like I said before, I didn't realize that the 18-page paper or 18-page letter that Rachel wrote to Ross was actually filled with words. Um, So that was really cool. I just get so excited um, seeing how much went into this, especially only making it in like a year. It just blows my mind how truly special this is. Thank you, Abby, for geeking out about the Friends exhibit with me. I have yet to see it, but I cannot wait to explore it before it goes away. Um, You can read Abby's full article at columbiachronicle.com. At a recent protest in Chinatown, notable city officials such as Cook County State Attorney Kim Fox and President of the Cook County Board of Commissioners Tony Preckwinkle shared remarks about how Chicago can stand against anti-Asian violence. Here in Cook County, we refuse to enable or allow white supremacy to flourish. We will fight back against hate. No one, no one should feel unsafe because of their gender, their skin color, their nationality, their religion, their very humanity. I know, as a former history teacher, that much of the hate we are fighting comes from ignorance of our own history in this country. The flames of bigotry do not burn in a vacuum. Hundreds attended the rally for community safety and stop anti-Asian hate crime in wake of the recent attacks against Asian Americans. As an Asian American, it's been painful to read about the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes related to the pandemic. I came to the States at 18 months old and have had people say that I'm not Asian enough because I'm adopted, but that hasn't made me exempt from others referring to the coronavirus as the Asian flu to my face. My Asian experience is different than other Asian American experiences. It does not, however, make me any less Asian. To my fellow AAPI community, 
I see you. I want you to take a moment for yourself and know we will get through this and have our voices heard. We will not allow this hate to tear us down. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more at ColumbiaChronicle.com. For additional coverage, we are at CC Chronicle on Instagram and Twitter. Chronicle Headlines is made possible by a collaboration with the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of Suzanne McBride, Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College Chicago. Until next time, I'm your host, Paige Barnes. <laughs> <laughs>